Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 381st episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a Grammy-winning and Oscar-nominated singer, songwriter, and five-instrument musician who is as hot as anyone in the music business at the moment. Indeed, over just the past seven months, in the middle of a global pandemic, she performed Prince's Nothing Compares to You during the In Memoriam segment at the Emmys, she sang America the Beautiful at the Super Bowl, she was awarded the Song of the Year prize at the Grammys for her timely tune, I Can't Breathe, And most recently, she and her collaborators DeMille and Tiara Thomas were nominated for the Best Original Song Oscar for their Judas and the Black Messiah anthem, Fight For You. Described by Interview Magazine as quite possibly the coolest artist in music, by The Guardian as a slow jam queen, and by The Los Angeles Times as one of the most exciting R&B talents in recent years, she was born Gabby Wilson but she became famous, of course, as her. Over the course of our conversation, the 23-year-old and I discussed how she wound up performing at massive venues like the Apollo Theater and on the Today Show before she even hit her teens, en route to a record deal at just 14. Why, as she entered womanhood and a professional career, she decided to shield her name, face, and all other information about herself and assumed a moniker that stands for having everything revealed, How the songs with which she is most associated, including Focus, Best Part, and Hard Place, as well as the aforementioned I Can't Breathe and Fight For You, came to be, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I am really thrilled to have you as uh, I... Love your music, and I particularly love this song in Judas and the Black Messiah, which we're going to talk about. So, and also just that you brought R and B back to being cool. It t- it's taken me back uh, to my younger years. So, thank you for all of those things. Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, now. On this podcast, I'm going to try to walk a, a tightrope here because I know that you are very private about parts of your you know, story. And yet this podcast, we kind of look at the major moments that shape the guests that we have. So if there, if I, if I go somewhere that I, you don't want me to go, just let me know, but hopefully it's, uh, it's okay. And, um, yeah, we usually just begin with the very basics. If you can just share with our listeners where you were born and raised and what your folks did for a living. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was born and raised in the Bay Area, California, um, in Vallejo, you know, a city where Sly Stone and E-40 are from. And uh, my mom's Filipino. My dad's black. My mom's a nurse. And my dad is a construction worker, actually. So, yeah, you know, normal, normal family in the Bay Area. Yeah. And and from what I was able to read, it's it's really, um, you know, your musical roots probably come from your dad, right? Absolutely. Um, pretty much, you know, him loving music and since he was a kid and, and it being around the house and him kind of just doing it for fun on the weekends with, with his friends. And how, I guess, like to just dive into that even further, uh, it seems like you were exposed to some really good music as a kid, unlike most kids. Uh, and so, you know, I wondered how some of the stuff that he was playing helped shape your taste and then how you actually wound up, from what I understand, kind of playing with him at a very young age. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, I think, it, you know, most people are like, oh, that, that, you know, that's music my parents used to listen to. But you know, I was listening to the music my parents were listening to and the music that, you know, kids my age were listening to. It was just part of, you know, the fun in my house. Like my dad would be cooking breakfast and we'd be listening and watching Prince concert DVDs and Michael Jackson concert DVDs and, you know, Lauren Hill, the unplugged MTV unplugged concert, you know, and things like that. And um, it, it really just, just opened me up and it, it like watching Lenny Kravitz and Prince perform together made me want to play electric guitar. I was like, I want to be a rock star, you know, when I was like seven years old. So, um, there were a lot of those kinds of moments watching Mary J. Blige perform with Eric Clapton and, you know, watching concert DVDs of Carlos Santana and even Coldplay and Led Zeppelin and, and the Rolling Stones and people like that as well. So, um, it, it just musically, it made me want to experiment with so many things and play so many different things. And I just fell in love with music and the creativity of it and, and writing and, and, you know, things like that. Well, and people who, who know about your kind of, uh, just your evolution will know that you, you play, I think five different instruments. How did, you know, how'd you pick those up? Was that really from kind of just being around your dad's band? Yeah, I mean, they would rehearse in our living room, you know, for their, their shows on the weekends and, and things like that. So there was a guitar and a piano and drums and um, all kinds of stuff uh, there. So I kind of just gravitated towards it. And my dad would teach me things and, you know, listening to certain albums inspired me to play certain things. So, yeah, definitely. And is there one that you felt particularly drawn to of the instruments? Was it the guitar? Um, it wasn't anything really specific. It, 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 um, it was like, I kind of went back and forth, you know, in the beginning I learned the piano and I learned how to play different songs on the piano, but then my dad taught me the blues and I learned the blues. And so that made me pick up guitar. Then one day my mom heard Boogie Oogie Oogie by A Taste of Honey in the store. And she was like, I want you to learn this song. And I was like eight years old and I was like, oh, well, mom, that's a bass driven song, you know? So <laughs> she, they took me to the, to the guitar center, bought me a bass. So, you know, my family really encouraged me and I, I heard the Musicology album by Prince and that made me want to play the drums. And then um, I wrote a song with an upright bass player uh, a few years ago. Then it made me want to learn how to play the upright, you know, play a little bit of horns in school. So it was just it was just a, a bunch of things kind of led me to, to playing. Well, and I think you mentioned the, the key word is writing, which I think you were doing before any of these instruments. How does somebody, you know, who can probably only only recently learned how to write when you were really that young how were you suddenly 
writing, I guess, uh, poetry and just sort of emotional, personal stuff from, I mean, that, that started really young, right? I guess it did. Yeah. It, um, yeah, it did. It definitely did. Um, and I, I, it started off with me writing kind of like silly poems and writing, you know, different things. And I don't know if it's because my mom, you know, would read books to me at night, but then eventually she kind of started writing down song titles and was like, here, you know, use these. And I started writing songs to those. And then, and I want to say, you know, maybe it's because of the blues or maybe because I'm, I was just a dramatic little kid, you know, that everything was just so deep to me. So I always had some kind of emotion, some kind of deep pain or emotion behind the things that I was writing about and uh, kind of keeping it all inside and using music to express and using writing and journaling and poetry to express things that I, I kept inside of me. And it was just an outlet, I think, um, because we all go through things in life as we grow up and and, and music has always been an outlet. So it's kind of was just there. So one of the things that I've always wondered about you is I've read, and I don't know if this year is correct, but I, I believe you were born in 1997. And if that's, yes. it is correct. Okay. <laughs> so the thing that I wondered about that is that by that point, I guess at that time, R&B was still in a, you know, in a good spot. But then over the years since, it, it feels like it faded from the scene a little bit. And I wondered if that was because, you know, society maybe got a little bit more cynical. People became less comfortable expressing emotion, whatever it was. But now by the time you're growing up, coming into your own, it was pretty, pretty much, I think, and, and you're much more qualified to comment on this than me, but it felt like it had faded from the scene. So what was it about that particular genre that, you know, even when it was no longer what everyone else was doing was was what you made it what you wanted to do. I, I've realized just because something is not in the forefront doesn't mean that people don't need it. There isn't a need or a want for it. I think, you know, culturally things change, things that people do for fun change. Um, and and not, music is always the soundtrack of our lives. So, you know, I think for a while it was kind of this dance version of R&B with artists like Rihanna and Neo and, and people like that and Jay Sean and Jeremiah. And there was this era, Chris Brown, you know, even with like beautiful people. I think there was this this era of like this kind of dance dance-ish R&B, but I always tell people, you know, R&B is in everything if we really want to look at it. I mean, as a genre, it's turned into so many different things. I think at one time, maybe R&B and soul was a thing, but rhythm and blues is literally in everything. To me, all you need is a, is a good rhythm and uh, emotion. I think, you know, the blues is really, it comes from truth, it comes from our truth. So I think um, more recently, you know, in just like the past five years, they've, there have been different artists who were kind of underground and you notice these people who felt like they were attached to this music because of their own personal stories. And it's like, they, they felt like they could hold it because they felt like it was personal to them because it wasn't popular. So sometimes we have an attachment to something when, when you feel like it's just your thing, when it's not popular, it's not mainstream. And that's kind of what my connection was with music was like, I feel like I have this thing listening to even Aaliyah and Lauren Hill and Alicia Keys. Like I'm, I'm, I'm still being fed by this music. This, this kind of music is feeding my soul. So this is the kind of music that I want to write. And uh, in high school, I think I started writing these lyrics that were just super honest to me. And um, it, it, it encouraged me to just continue to write my truth. And I think that's why I stuck to what it was I wanted to do and what sonically I felt like where we were going and where I, I wanted to be. 
It's really interesting. And, you know, obviously, and I, I, I again, I've tried to read everything I, I could find that, you know, other past interviews, profiles and things. And of course, the, the thing that you must be sick of more than anything else is talking about, you know, how did the, the her persona come about? But I, I do wonder if we can just get into it a little bit, because it does seem like, you know, before anyone ever heard of her, you were actually performing in a public kind of capacity as a very young kid and getting great feedback and doing that kind of stuff, you know, on TV at the, I read at places like the Apollo. And I guess I just wonder, was it a reaction to that, to sort of being in the spotlight or, or being the center of attention or whatever that made you say, I'm not comfortable, you know, this is a reaction to that. I'm not comfortable with that, or I don't want that to be about X, Y, or Z. Is that why her, the persona came about? Well, it's interesting because people always say, oh, you know, why just switch it up or why did you? And it's like, no, I, I, I never switched it up. I've been doing music since I was a young kid. And my parents literally made sure that I took every opportunity that I could to do music, to perform or whatever it was. That doesn't make you an artist because you perform, because you're, you know, be, because you, you're performing songs or you're on television. That doesn't make you an artist all of a sudden, you know, an, an artist, an artistry to me is, is a, is a craft. And it's, it's a different kind of putting yourself out there as a different kind of uh, pr presentation of your art and who you are. And you can't, you can't be 14 and know who you are already. You have to evolve. You have, you, it's inevitable to evolve. I'm not the same person I was at 15, 16. I would hope not, you know, or 18, even 19. I'm 23 now. And um, the persona, it wasn't even much of a persona. It was more so who I became and who um, I, I was almost kind of keeping inside because I, I felt like it was too honest because it was like, this is such a vulnerable part. I'm a young woman. This is the evolution of young woman. How, how can I present this to the world in a way that I feel comfortable with in a way that I feel like people are, are going to receive it or maybe not receive it. Who knows? But I just know that this set of these sets of songs, these things that I'm creating now, I want it to be the forefront. I do not want my face to be the forefront. I do not want people to, you know, say, oh, she's, you know, who she's dating and what she's wearing and how old she is, where she's from. I didn't think any of that stuff mattered because in music at the time, I felt like we, we were too focused on those things. It was all about social media. It was all about this, you know, full package and like, what is that even, you know, and this kind of box that I think they put women female artists in and women in. So I, I just wanted to go against the grain and just present this music I felt like represented me. So it wasn't a, a matter of all of a sudden I'm going to just switch it up. It was a slow build where, you know, for years I was working on my craft and making these songs. And that's, that's how that happened. Well, let's um just dive into the chronology a little bit more because even some of that, some of that early you know, those early TV stuff where, where you were performing as a kid, how does that even come about? How do you get noticed? What was, what was the, what led to that string of things where uh, incidentally, I'm going to mention that I believe some of the things you were covering were Alicia Keys, who's going to come back into this story in a, in a moment, but just, uh, how did those come about? I was just a kid. Um, and I was performing around the Bay area, 
you know, and my dad was, was performing with me, you know, with his band. And, um, I think it was like YouTube, my dad posting videos of me playing all the instruments that I play on YouTube and them kind of receiving those calls from being noticed. And, and it was at a time when YouTube, there weren't a million people doing covers on YouTube. You know, every day there's a new thing posted on YouTube, but at the time there wasn't that much of that, you know, there, there wasn't, there wasn't much of those, those videos. So, um, that's kind of how that started. Then the next big moment, I guess, just kind of looking at, at my notes would be that 14, and I don't know if it was a result of those kind of that public exposure, but 14 is when you sign your first record deal, right? RCA and MBK. And that's why when you mentioned 14, you're at such a, you know, transitional, vul- you know, young, vulnerable place. How did that itself come about? Was that because of the, you know, somebody seeing you on, on one of those TV appearances or something? It's kind of a long story. Um, there, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people and uh, introductions that were made to even get me to that point. But I mean, I will just say um, that my parents and I think God, um, honestly, God kind of just set the path and and it, it was always a I think it was always a given. And I'm so thankful that my parents made the right decision because there were many ways it could have gone. You know, somebody could have throwing money at them. And they were like, okay, yeah, we'll do it. And, but they didn't, they didn't see it that way. They really believed in me and they trusted MBK entertainment, Jeff Robinson and, um, you know, the whole team, they trusted them, uh, with what could possibly be a career for me, but I was still a regular kid, you know? So there were no like heavy expectations, you know, cause I was a 14 year old kid, but I will say, you know, MBK entertainment, they're heavy believers in artist development. So being signed at 14, I, I didn't expect, or nobody really expected me to come out, you know, the next year, maybe people on the outside who don't really know and understand how the music industry works. And even me being 14, just like, yay, I get to do music. I get to go to New York and record for two weeks and I go right back to school. And there were a lot of sacrifices being made and, and a lot of hard work that was that was happening um, during that time. Well, you mentioned Jeff Robinson, and that's a name that I think, you know, is important to talk about because you've said that he uh, well, first, we should say he, he was a manager who represented Alicia Keys for a while um, and then became your manager. And I wondered, was was that particular connection because of the something to do with the fact that you were emulating in a way or, or early on some of those performances were of Alicia's stuff? Or was it just a coincidence that you wound up working with Jeff? I, I think I was, I represented a certain kind of artist, um, and, and Alicia was a certain kind of artist, you know, musical, um, and, and a, a young woman who had, had a drive was writing songs and, and representing like real music and wasn't necessarily, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I honestly, it's hard for me to speak because I was, I was very young and, um, I know what he sees in me now, but you know, you got to ask Jeff, like, yeah, what did right. you 
when I was when I was 14. But like I said, I think he knew I was a certain kind of artist and they really believed in me and, and you know, acknowledged like that I had talent and that I had a gift and um, knew what it was going to take for me to to be who I'm destined to be and, and saw that and nurtured that. And obviously that changes throughout the years. But um, yeah, it, it's a different kind of believing in somebody, especially in a kid that that they saw in me. And um, yeah. And he seems yeah. to have been on board it, the way you've talked about it from the beginning with the idea that, look, this is a young person who obviously wants to keep the focus on some things and not others. And so, uh, yeah, why not? go with what I think, you know, you guys have called like the her project, but essentially just like, why, why, why not go with it at a time when we should say, you know, it was, there are other people who have seems to have had the same or a similar reaction to life in the spotlight. Right. I mean, between Sia or the weekend or whoever, I mean, you're not alone in wanting to protect some parts of your personality. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm grateful that I was, you know, able to do that. And I know a lot of people were like, what, 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 why, you know, oh, you don't have to hide your face and all these things. And I'm like, well, that's not the reason, you know, I don't think I'm, you know, unattractive. So no. I just, I don't you know, that, that wasn't it. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't think any of those things. I think it was really just that I'm about the music. I've always been about the music and I always will be that comes first in my life and, and what I present and who I am. It does beg the question though. Why it, you know, her apparently stands for having everything revealed, but here you were having yep. nothing revealed. So why, why her? <laughs> Listen, everything was revealed in the music. That's um, true. That's true. Exterior to me doesn't matter. You know, people say the eyes are the window to your soul and music was the window to my soul. Yeah. So I guess the, you know, the beginning of her becoming a person that everyone, you know, was increasingly wanting to know about would have been 2016 with the with the release of this, of the, the, or I guess really it started when RCA sends out this early stream of, of her volume one, your first EP comes with a press release that says, quote, I can't tell you much about her, but just yet, but give it a listen, close quote. And, and then this sort of, I guess it was through SoundCloud and other things. It really was a very organic way that people discover you. You weren't getting a lot of help from radio, right? You know, there was no radio in the beginning. Um, and it kind of took the rapper approach, you know, where it was like, I just want, you know, it to get around, you know, word of mouth. And, and if people gravitate towards it, then that's what happens. But it didn't even, you know, I, I was so excited and the anticipation, I was so nervous, but my expectations were were low. You know, I, I dreamt and imagined beautiful things happening, but my expectations were low. I was like, okay, whatever happens, happens, you know, and two Grammys later, you know, it's kind of like, wow, you know, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. That's the one that you've said really was to quote you quote the diary and stories of my four years of evolving as a woman. So really like, is that from that's 14 to 18 things that you were going through romantically, whatever, just in every different way. That's what you poured into volume one. More so like 15 to 19, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And I wonder if you can talk about, I mean, the one that probably from that, that you get asked the most about is, I would guess, focus, um, which thanks to uh, a lot of, you know, A, being a great song, but also I know people, Rihanna helped people to discover that and with her Instagram posts, right? Um, So, but I mean, 
just because it's one that's always going to be associated with you, can I just ask you if there's any context you can provide about that one? Is it literally just a girl wanting her guy to like look up from his phone phone and pay a little attention? Literally, I think I think I think in life, women, you know, we we tend to want to just be noticed. We want to be seen. We want to be considered. We want the attention, you know. And I'm super needy. I'm a I'm a cancer. I'm I'm super needy. So yeah, definitely, definitely, it, it comes from that kind of place, that kind of vulnerability. Would you have guessed that that would be the song from that EP that would have popped? I don't know. Um, and, you know, I never expected a song to just, just kind of go. That wasn't even, that wasn't really the goal when it came to my career. I think the the beautiful thing about volume one is that every single song on that project and the one I released after that, um, they were all synced. They were all in a commercial or a TV show or a movie. And, um, you know, when you go to my concert, everybody says they have different favorites or different artists that I even look up to. They said, oh, this is my favorite song or this is my favorite song. And I know Focus definitely started to get a little bit of radio love. And uh, that was kind of the song people really loved at first. But um, I don't think there was one song that really defined anything. I, I think the the whole body of work kind of spread around organically and people got to know me and, and my music. So that was 2016, 2017 comes volume two. And I guess, you know, one, just to, just as an example, again, of this one to maybe we can talk a little bit about hopefully is every kind of way, because I know that this one, A, I mean, do you feel, do you like writing love songs? Is that, or is that, is that like, do you naturally, you, a lot of these are not about, right. They're about pain and, and frustration. And, but, but that one feels more like a love song. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you go through different emotions. Everything represents who I am or what I go through in that moment. There's not one song that represents who, you know, everything that I, I like to write about. There's, there, there's so many different moments that make me want to write songs like that, but you know, uh, love songs are just easy to write. And I think when you're a vulnerable, you know, teenage girl, that that's kind of what you gravitate towards. It's about heartbreak and he loves me. He loves me not. And it's that kind of, it's that kind of mood. Um, and then, you know, your world starts to open up and, and I started living a real adult life in New York city being, you know, 18, 19, 20. And then it's like, whoa, now I have a perspective in my spirituality. I have a perspective in what's going on in the world around me. And it's not just about me anymore. Now I have responsibilities. Now I have to think about who I am as a person and the person I grow up to be. So you can see the evolution there as far as volume one and volume two, and then, you know, continuing on after that. It was, I think, pretty much on 
in the aftermath of those first two volumes coming out and then just before the compilation album that put pieces them together with other stuff that people now were really digging in in almost a creepy way. we got to figure out who this person is uh, Mm -hmm. going through like even royalty music royalty documents and stuff I've seen to try to get to, you know, who's, what's the real name? What, what was that like for you? Was that, were you always expecting that at some point your, your birth name and some information about you was going to come out or was that almost uh, traumatic when that happened? I mean, you know, with social media, with the internet, it, it's almost impossible, you know, not to get everybody's information nowadays. And it's very scary. Yes. But um, no, I, I think it was more so um, the way that people go about it. And everybody kind of wanted like an exclusive. Everybody wants to say they knew it first or this. And I'm like, that don't even matter to me at this point. You know, it, it and it's not necessarily that I'm not anonymous or that I'm, you know, I'm kind of just like, yo, this is my music, you know, take it as you take it. You don't know me. Don't call me by my government name. If you're not my mom, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, my mother, I don't want to hear that, you know? Right. So no, it's, it's really cool though. You know, the fact that people, they care to even say like, I knew it first, you know, it's like, <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, round of applause for you. Like, good job. It does beg the Here's question the though, um, outside of your family, let's say, you know, your friends, your uh, people that you make music with, what do they call you? I have a lot of nicknames. So everybody calls me something different, a variation of my name or everybody, sometimes they just call me her. Yeah. So out comes this, this compilation album, her and five Grammy nominations. Let's just remind people for a, for a debut album is unbelievable, including nominations for, the album, and then also for best part, both won Grammys, right? And so I just wonder, you know, when you wake up one day or however it happens, you find out you've got five Grammy nominations, whereas two years before, nobody heard of you from a hole in the wall. What is that like? Uh, Crazy. It felt like all the hard work, you know, paid off and people think it happened overnight. It happened so fast. But the work has been put in since before I was 14 years old, before I was signed. So, you know, we're almost 10 years into to since I've been signed and, you know, 20 years, you know, since I've been playing instruments and singing and stuff like that. So it feels like such a blessing and it feels like feels like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. That's all that feels like. It's like confirmation, like, okay, I'm doing the right things. You know, I'm, I'm such a perfectionist and I'm always on to the next thing, but sometimes you got to celebrate yourself and acknowledge the impact that you do have, no matter how big or small. And I think that's what it comes down to for me. And just to follow up on that question, just again, because as you say, there people have so many different you know, there are so many different songs that people, different people uh, feel is their favorite of yours. But best part, I think, comes up a lot. And I just be curious, oh, yeah. any any uh, context you can provide about that one? Oh, man. Best part. Um, that happened so organically. You know, me and Daniel Caesar, we had just met, you know, like two days before or a day before. And we had just been talking. We had these deep conversations. And I just, you know, I, I loved our conversations and just um, how passionate he was about music. And, um, he started kind of playing those chords and I was playing along with him and we, we found this thing and he started singing 
uh, melody for the hook. And then I started filling in some of the words and it was just this beautiful organic moment. And I went into the booth and freestyled the verses. And it was just like, oh my gosh, this is it. We have an amazing song. This feels like kind of classic. It feels kind of good. But I didn't think we really knew what we had. I don't think we really knew, you know, what, what it was going to mean. And, um, when it came out, it was like, wow. And, and, and the, the slow build of that. And now I feel like I, look at wedding videos online and best part is in the background, you know, and that's, that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing that I never imagined would happen. You don't know, babe, when you hold me and kiss me slowly, it's the sweetest thing. And it don't change if I had it my It's amazing how prolific you are. I don't know how how you produce so many songs uh, or compose so many songs, but I mean, just the year after that, and we're talking each one of these is, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018 is her, then 2019 is I Used to Know Her, your second, and it's again, a, I guess, basically a compilation of the two 2018 EPs, and, yeah. in, in, and so in this case, the one that and by the way, another five Grammy nominations, which is yes. back to back here is crazy. But in this case, the one that I think everyone was talking about and the one where I believe you performed it at the Grammys itself. I remember seeing you. That was my first time ever getting to attend the Grammys. And I, I was like, who is, you know, what is this? This is amazing wow. with, um, with Hard Place. But just I got to ask you about that one. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, you know, I think. I used to know her in that project and then getting to the Grammys. It, it was just a different side of me. It was uh, not a different side, but an, another side. Um, uh, you know, my roots are kind of, like I said, writing in my room, writing, writing in my bedroom, playing instruments and listening to these different artists and um, kind of the singer songwriter vibe of just me and my guitar writing these songs. And I went to Nashville and um, kind of fell in love with Nashville. And I was able to get to the root and the stories that I, I really wanted to tell. And, and Hard Place was one of those. And um, yeah, that song, when we wrote it and, and Roddy Jerkins produced it out, we found a good balance of, you know, kind of that R&B feeling and that so singer-songwriter feeling. And then when I performed it on the Grammys, I said, okay, I got to bring out the electric. I yeah. know the, the record is acoustic, but I really want to make this dynamic and show people kind of what I can do. And a lot of people didn't know that I play electric guitar. And, you know, Fender made this amazing acrylic guitar guitar matched my outfit and made it shine i was like we got to do it big for the first grammys and yeah i did the, the guitar solo and and did a song that really came from the heart amazing that was you know because again i don't i don't know how many you know artists are as able to be great at so many different things and to be able to show it at, and in a moment like that on a stage like that you know that both the singing and the writing and the guitar playing and just all of it was quite a 
amazing production there. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, And just we should note that in that case, second consecutive nomination for album of the year. That does not happen often. Two years in a row. Uh, Two for two nominations for Hard Place for uh, that. In that case, record of the year and and song of the year. And then um, the other two that got nominations, which I'm just going to. I feel we ha- we would be remiss not to mention could have been, which I think is very tonally different, right? Than than most than a lot of other stuff you've you've done. Oh, thank you, thank you, in, in, yeah. and in, in the best way. And I I just mean I guess like what that one is more. Would you say it's like uh, where did what was the place that that kind of came from for for you? I think could have been it is kind of reminiscent of volume one, um, just a little darker, a little bit more, more um, R&B, um, even more, you know, um, I think it, it came from a, a very honest place. It came from a just a time period and, and kind of acknowledging a feeling and then moving on from it. Um, that, that's really where that song came from. OK, so this I want to just set up some dates here before I ask you the next question, because this is like a year like nobody has ever had. September 20th, 2020, you cover Prince, Nothing Compares to You, during the In Memoriam of the Emmys. February 7th, 2021, perform America the Beautiful before the Super Bowl. March 14th, 2021, win Grammy for Song of the Year for I Can't Breathe. The next day, March 15th, 2021, nominated for Best Original Song Oscar for... Uh, this great song um, that we're going to talk about in a moment from Judas and the Black Messiah. But I mean, this is a crazy year, right? Does it feel, can you, are you, are you able to kind of stop for a second and and realize how much has happened since just September? Definitely. Uh, (laughs) Definitely. You know, every moment I kind of just take and I enjoy and I've learned to enjoy throughout the years and make the most of it. And it's like, man, I like, should I be doing more? Should I? And I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just uh, in it. And, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by people I love. They're not just my team. They're not just my managers and, you know, hairstylists and all. They're like my family. So, um, you know, when you accomplish these things, there's nothing like sharing those moments with people that you love and that love you and know how much you worked and know how far you've come so definitely it's been a whirlwind it it really has been a whirlwind and I still can't believe it I still have to pinch myself but it also comes with great responsibility I'm like I'm just get I'm just getting started this is the beginning of my career you know even though my first project started in 2016 I didn't start touring until 2017 and I'm I'm only 23 years old so this is only the beginning of my career it's amazing and I I think that what we should also know is that this crazy year that, you know, of all these accomplishments has happened at a, during a very difficult year for you and everyone, I think between, you know, not only the pandemic, which is horrible enough, but then really, I know it was really shaped by what happened over the summer with George Floyd and the protests and everything after that. And I wonder since I can't breathe is the song of the year that, uh, that the yeah. year that we're living in. Um, and that really, I mean, in more ways than one, I mean, aside from being, uh, a great song. It really, it's a, it's about the very thing that this year has been largely defined by. I just wonder if you can talk about how you were personally, you know, emotionally affected by what happened over the summer and how that led in a very quick turnaround to I Can't Breathe. Yeah, you know, um, 2020 was what it was. We all know uh, what that felt like, what that looked like. Um, but then when 
the protests started happening and, and the outrage, just the video going viral and like, oh my gosh, how could this happen? And the fact that it has been happening, um, this isn't nothing new. Uh, and the fact that we're all seeing it, we have no choice but to kind of deal with it and, and look at the pain that is what the black community has to go through. So it was very, very hard to watch and very hard to um, to process. And music was there and music, uh, I was able to express how I felt about it in, in music. But I mean, you know, I, I felt like I had no room to complain as far as the year was concerned in the pandemic, because I was still able to do what I love. I was still able to perform virtually and stay connected. And when that happened, it felt like, okay, now it's really time for me to, to, to use my platform and make sure that I express exactly how I feel. That was very, very important for me. So, um, writing that song really represented that pain and anxiety. So I didn't expect a Grammy nomination at all. Um, I, I, I didn't like not even, not even a little. A gun to a man that surrenders. What's it gonna take for someone to defend her? If we all agree that we're equal as people, then why can't we see what is evil? I can't breathe. You're taking my life from me. I can't breathe. Well, and it feels like it's sort of a a good, appropriate bookend almost or, or you know, a double header with Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah. Because what I, I'm, you know, not I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Tell me if I'm reading too much into this, but it feels like, you know, I Can't Breathe is about this moment in a way. But also Fight For You is saying this is not a new thing and we have, you know, it it's not going to change unless we actually, you know, stand up and fight. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think, um, it, it's like, I can't breathe. It was a, definitely a moment in time and it kind of felt hopeless. It kind of felt like, what do we do? Where do we go from here? Why are we seeing this? You know, literally the lyrics are asking questions and literally the lyrics are, are these, these moments of pain. Um, and then writing a song like fight for you, I felt like was the after, the after feeling, you know, it was the, okay, now we need to pick ourselves up and now we really need to do something. Even though I Can't Breathe was the soundtrack to like, you know, a march, it, it was like, Fight For You was really, Shaka King, when he told me, you know, about the song and, and the, the tone of the song and what he wanted to be, I, he said, you know, I wanted to be hopeful because the scene at the end of the movie, we wanted to be hopeful. We want people to feel like there's still hope. And I was like, okay, yeah. And I started listening to a lot of Marvin Gaye and Curtis Mayfield. And I knew that um, if I made something sad, it would discourage us as opposed to making us find hope and, and helping us, I think, move forward and, and, and really fight. You know, the lyrics are long as I'm, I'm standing, I'll always fight for you. Right. Now, did you know Shaka before that? How did you even come to know about this film? And I think that it was only because of the pandemic, if I have it correct, that you were able, you know, the movie was delayed a bit and you were able to become a part of it. But how did you become a part of it? Yeah. Um, well, Archie, uh, he works with RCA. I think he was working on the soundtrack and, um, I think they all kind of were considering me or something like that. And they, they gave me the call 
And um, I was on the phone with Archie and I said, hey, I really think I could, you know, make a, a masterpiece for it. I I, I love the story. Um, I, I love that we're telling the story because the truth is, you know, this is such an important part of history and it's not even taught in schools. It's really sad. Well, that's what I was wondering is, you know, as a 23-year-old, had you really known this story? I wouldn't blame you if you hadn't because of what you're saying. It's things aren't always taught so well in school, particularly when it comes to black history. And I just wonder, was the Fred Hampton story something that you knew about before the film? So I knew about Fred Hampton. Uh, well, not even about. I knew the name and the association with the Black Panthers. I didn't know his role and how much he was really impacting the black community. I didn't know how much change and, and how he was leading um, different communities, not even just the Black Panthers. So I, there were a lot of details I did not know at all. And I just felt like, wow, how, how come we don't know this? So mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's, there's this big gap of, of information and, you know, knowledge is power. So when you don't teach people certain things, they, you know, it, it's very interesting, you know, how, how knowledge is power. And the less we know, the, the, the less we can create change. Right. Well, this movie obviously has found uh, as about as big an audience as you can find during a pandemic. I mean, it was in some theaters. It's been on HBO Max as well. And, you know, a lot of people have seen it, been moved by it, obviously the Academy included. But as they leave, you know, this is the thing, this song is what they they kind of leave with. And I, I guess aside from, you know, you said the, the goal was to leave people feeling hopeful. But if you could kind of script it out and, you know, people leave the theater doing something or, or changing something about the way they approach the world. What do you hope the effect is that the song has on them in that sense? You know, the song, it, it, it's supposed to give us a, a, a sense of hope. And um, it, I think I really wanted people to be, to be driven, to, to, to be motivated, to, to not just say they want to, they want to make a change or not just say they, you know, they, they, uh, support black businesses and they support black people, but really, really making a conscious effort every single day. Like, what am I doing? And, and acknowledging the fight that is uh, being black in America and acknowledging that fight and, and even just, you know, being a leader, like who, who are you hiring? Who, who are you giving opportunities to? Are, are you judging people based off the color of their skin without even realizing it? So I think it's a moment of reflection um, and, and also the fact that uh, in the movie, a lot of people were fighting different battles. And I think we all we're all fighting for something. We're all fighting for love. We're fighting for a community. We're fighting for freedom. We're fighting for, you know, whatever that may be for our own happiness. Um, and that's kind of where I was coming from with the song. And it's like it, it's supposed to feel like, you know, whatever fight it is that you're in you got to feel happy and, and confident that, that you're going to get through and that you have the support of people around you, that they're, they're going to help you fight through whatever it is that they're, you know, whatever it is that you're fighting for. Um, so it's kind of like a tone. It's kind of a tone and, and a kind of a joy in, in your process and, and, and learning to just, just keep going.
And it really does feel like it could have been created in the era of, you know, alongside uh, Curtis Mayfield song or, or Sly and the Family Stone or somebody, oh, you know, you. totally authentic and um, and really just uh, just terrific. And I guess, you know, in a year when you've been recognized at, you know, when, we know what Grammys mean in the world of music. Did you ever think that, that, that was it even a, a thought that crossed your mind that you might uh be at the Oscars as well? Was that something that... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, of course you hope for that. You know, uh, you hope to be at the Oscars, but I did not expect to be here so soon. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting it at all. I was like, wait, what? I was freaking out. I was freaking out. Everybody's like, oh, you know, the Oscar nominations are coming out tomorrow. I'm like, you know, whatever happens, it's okay. I still won. I still won the Grammys. Right. I'm still a winner. I'm still, you know, doing what I love and it's all good. But, um, man, I'm like, wow, I really have a chance, you know, at winning an Oscar. And that's pretty that, crazy. That, crazy. In the best way. And, you know, like we, I was just talking to Amanda Seyfried. I don't know if you know the actress from, I guess, most of, mostly from Mamma Mia, but now she's up. She's nominated for the first time for her yeah. performance in Mank. And we were talking about the fact that, you know what, no matter what good or bad you, you do for, and she's also very young like you, that like you, you are forever in the same way you're forever Grammy winner. Yeah. You know, you are forever Oscar nominee or even Absolutely. potentially more. It's kind of not many of us get to know what the uh, first line of our not to be ghoulish, but like, you know, many years from now, our obit, who knows what they're going to say. about right, but- <laughs> right, right, right. You're absolutely right. Grammy Award winning. That's right. Nominated. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. So. All right. Last question, because we are talking at a time when it's amazing how much you've done by the age of 23. I, it's weird to even ask, like, what's what's still on the to do list? Because you would think for most 23 year olds, everything. But in, in your case, you've uh, you've accomplished so much already. So I'm really curious. What what are the top goals looking forward? You know, I'm still trying to figure those out. I'm still I'm still creating a new vision board. I crossed a lot of things off my vision board. Um, acting is one of them. Acting is is a huge part of who I am and, and something that I've always loved to do. Um, I, I really want to do more charity work and work with kids. I really enjoy working with kids and I'm, I'm passionate about music in schools because um, there's not enough of that, you know, with, with budgets and, 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 you know, things like that. So I, I really want to work with kids. That, that's a goal of mine. Um, and I have, you know, ambitions for different for different businesses and, and things like that. But in music, you know, I, I pray to be doing stadiums one day and, um, you know, to, to be selling out MSG, which hopefully isn't, you know, too far, too far uh, off. But um, yeah, you know, I, I remember hearing about Prince doing arena tours and then that same night going into small clubs and doing intimate performances and people looking forward to those. So I think that's something I, I really want to do one day and, and maybe I'll write a book. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm still still trying to figure out what those what those goals are. Well, it's terrific. I don't know how you anyone could have accomplished more by 23. And uh, thank you for a lot of great music and uh, can't wait to see what what you do next. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for this conversation. I appreciate you. Thanks very much for tuning into Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. 
If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.